Welcome to the Agency Growth Machine Podcast, where it's all about transforming potential into profit. And now your host, Randy Schwantz. Hey, in the first couple of podcasts, we talked a lot about getting leverage, and leverage is a big, big deal. Um, yeah, I don't know if when you're a kid you ever played on seesaws. Uh, I did, and it's interesting. You, I'd be on one side, and some other kid would be on the other side, and if he's a little skinny kid, he'd have to lean way back just to get enough leverage to get him kind of going back down. If he's a big old large kid, then I'm the guy who has to lean way back to get leverage to go down. But that fulcrum in the middle, you know, that the seesaw is on is, is kind of that middle deal. So, you know, people have been using fulcrums to get leverage, you know, in construction jobs all the time. I remember when... When I was a laborer out in Lubbock, Texas, man, working, you know, to 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 do build concrete tilt ups, there's a lot of times we'd have to get a, it's like a big old long metal bar. I'm I'm, I'm I think it weighed 35, 40 pounds. It's not the heaviest thing on the planet, but it's been pretty heavy when you're working with it all day long. Had a sharp edge on it, and you'd sit there and kind of drive it down into you know between two two by fours, and then just kind of way lay down on it. To be able to pop something up that you couldn't have done, you couldn't have done it with a hammer. You certainly couldn't have done it with anything. You had to have something big to gain leverage. So, when you sit there and start thinking about how do I get a lot of leverage off of my producers, if I'm an agency manager, how do I get a lot of leverage off of my producers and my agency? If you're a producer, you got to be thinking, how do I get a lot of leverage off my existing client base? And there's two ways to do that. One's through red hot introductions. Uh, and then the other is through your partner's client base and get cross-sold in there. A lot of money to be made. So what I want to talk about today is three struggles of agency principles. And um, they are, as I see them, number one, how do I how do I motivate my bottom 80% of producers to go produce? It's interesting that the top 20% produce all the time. They always have. They always will. It's who they are. It's in their DNA, and um, and and they're champions. And you're probably you you you're one of them. I'm sure you are. But it's those bottom eighty percent of which maybe the bottom thirty percent might be in the wrong job. So then, if you take the bottom thirty percent off, and the top twenty percent off, is that middle fifty percent is the gold. And we're going to talk about that gold and how do you get more out of them. And we're going to continue to talk about motivation strategies. Because when you take the word motivation, the root word of motivation is motive. You know, motive means a reason or a purpose. You know, motive is most used in trial and court. You know, if somebody shot somebody, what was your motive? If somebody got a divorce, what was the motive? Well, my husband was cheating on me. You know, if somebody robbed a bank, what was their motive? They're always looking for what's the reason, what's the purpose? So now if somebody made a cold call, if somebody asked a client for an introduction, if somebody wedged out the incumbent, I'm always like, what's your motive? Why are you doing this? What are you trying to accomplish? So that's a reason or a purpose. There's a book, uh, Rick, I can't remember Rick's last name, but Rick wrote, I mean, a fabulous book called The the Purpose Driven Life, The Reason for Living. Um, and he sold millions and millions. I think he's, he's the pastor of a church out in um, Arizona somewhere. Millions and millions and millions because people are looking for a purpose. So part of what you as an agency owner has the opportunity to do 
that brings a lot of leverage to the table that helps transform potential into agency growth and profit. So what is the potential? If you got a producer that has a half million dollar book, well, if they were good enough to write a half million, are they good enough to actually create a million? Well, that's a half a million dollars worth of potential. What do you have to do to transform that potential? What is it you have to do to change that person and their situation so that they, they, they go from being a half million dollar person to a million dollar person? Well, there's a lot of things, but the first part of it always starts out with, you got to have a motive. And the problem with uh, a lot of these cats is when you've got a half million dollar book of business, and you're making, say, 30%, you're making 150 grand. If you're making 40%, you're making 200 grand. I think I did the math right. Well, 200 grand, and I pay Uncle Sam, say, 40% of that, that's 80 grand. And I'm living on 120, that's $10,000 a month. Uh, for a lot of people, that's way more than what their parents ever had. It's way more than what many of their friends have. And so they're, they're patting themselves on the back every day going, man, I'm a stud. I've done a great job. I can, I can basically kind of retire in place as long as I continue to retain what I got, replace it, maybe grow a little bit. I'm fine. And look, that could be true. Um, you know, it's not my job to sit there and go, somebody ought to make a lot more money. But when I come back to the core thought that even them as well as they're doing, most of those guys are saving eight, 10, 12, $15,000 a year. They're not saving a lot more than that. That's been all my research, all my history. I've asked several thousand producers um, that question. And they're just not because they're not thinking about it. Now, if they thought about it, all of a sudden that would change a part of the deal. So what I want to talk about here is we look at the top three struggles of agency principles. Number one struggle is how do I get the bottom 80% engaged? Top 20% do an incredibly good job. In most cases, although even they have got potential bottom 30% in many cases are just misplaced. They're not, they're not where they belong. Uh, they're not producers, they're account managers at best. And you know, whatever we want to do is not going to change that. But that middle 50%, there's a lot of gold there. There's a lot of potential. So I want to get into you know, uh, I'm going to get a little bit psychological, a little bit into the weeds here, but there's two types of motivation, extrinsic and intrinsic. And I just want to create a definition between two. I'm looking this up. I'm on a, a website called verywell.com. And I want you to start thinking about this. And we're going to start to apply this to your life. We're going to apply it to my life. I'll tell you things about me, you know, that, that when I, I look at this and try to analyze it, and then we'll go back and we'll, we'll look at how it applies to your producers. Okay, so let's go into it. Extrinsic motivation occurs when we are motivated to perform a behavior or engage in activity to earn a reward or avoid punishment. So pain or pleasure. You know, if I do this, I get to make more money. If I don't do this, then my commission, there's a clawback. I don't make as much. If I do this, I get a reward. I get a, I get a special parking lot. If I don't do this, then I'm parking out in the, you know, the, the North 40. Um, and instead of a reward, everybody thinks I'm a, a loser. Extrinsic motivation is I'll do the things, I'll perform the behaviors that I need to do because I'm either going to get a reward, a better grade, recognition, something like that, or I get to avoid 
punishment. So here's some examples. Uh, Kids, studying because you want a good grade. So I don't study because I love to study. I study because I want a good grade. That's why I study. That's an extrinsic reward. Cleaning my room to avoid being reprimanded by my parents. If I don't clean my room, I'll get reprimanded. I won't get the car. I won't get to go out with my friends. I won't get to do all that sort of stuff. I have all that punishment. I want to avoid it. So therefore, I'm doing it. Extrinsic motivation. Uh, Participating in sports to win awards. Man, I want to play because I want to win a dead gum championship, man. And so now you come back to a book, a book of business. So many producers... You know, the, the accountability strategy has been taken off the table. So what is the accountability strategy? Well, to me, there's three C's to accountability. C number one is you got to have a contract in place. So when we were all kids, we were 15 years old, you know, we started driver's ed. And um, we got our temporary driver's license, and then we drove either with our parents and taught us, or we had a, a driver's ed instructor. That's what I had. We drive, 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 drive. You know, you go through some tests. You'd understand how the car operates. You understand, um, you know, the, the speed limit. You understand what happens at an intersection. You understand how to parallel park. Um, and then finally, you turn 16. You go take your driver's test. Uh, if you pass it, they take a picture of you. You sign a document. And then now you have your driver's license. Well, when you do that, you now have a contract with the state. And that contract says that, that, that you just signed that you understand the law. You understand the speed limit. You understand what you're supposed to do when you come to an intersection. You understand, um, you understand what's supposed to do if, like, if an emergency EMS is coming up on you, you pull off to the right. You, know, you just understand those are all the rules and laws. And when you sign that, now you have a contract with the state that you get it. You understand it. So that's the first C of accountability. What's the second C of accountability? Is you got to build a count. It wasn't that long ago that it was on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon. It's a beautiful day. Sunshine like crazy. I'm driving to the airport. I'm going to California. I got the top down on my car. There where I lived in Dallas, everything was a tollway. And on tollways, you drive 85 miles an hour. Even though the speed limit's 70, everybody drives 85. So like everybody, man, I got the top down, music turned up loud, man, I'm having a great time, sun signs on my face, went through my hair, and then all of a sudden we come around this big old curve and there's a cop, and I hit the brakes, I didn't want to cram on the brakes, I hit the brakes, slowed down to about 82, something like that, when he finally got me. Now, he got me, he pulled me out of a list, or a line of about five cars, I was the last one coming through, um, and pulls me over and writes me a ticket. Now, part of my point here is if he hadn't had a radar gun and could count, could he have written me a ticket? No, he would just been guessing at my speed, but he had a radar gun. So first of all, I signed a document saying I agree to this. So we're now number one, see, we have a contract. Number two, he is able to count how fast I'm going. So then he writes me a ticket and he kind of asked me the whole day, hey, what's your hurry, son? Uh, no hurry. Where are you headed? Airport. <laughs> what else was I going to say, right? So I got my ticket. Now think about this. If there's no consequence, if there's no uh, punishment to avoid, 
then it wouldn't have changed my behavior. But there was a punishment to avoid. In fact, in that case, I had to pay that ticket or sit in front of a stupid computer for six hours watching some sort of driver's ed thing, yada, 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 poo. So because there was a punishment or a consequence, um, we have accountability. So three C's accountability. You got to have a contract, you got to build account, and you got to have consequences. So now let's go back. Producer motivation. In so many agencies, the mantra, the belief, the philosophy is, well, if they're not costing me any money, I'm going to leave them alone. Rather than, and think about this, if you had an investment, say you got $100 or $1,000 or $10,000 or $100,000 in the stock market, you wouldn't say, well, if it's not costing me anything, I'm not going to like worry about it. You'd sit there and go, I want to try to get the best leverage off all of my investments I can. So, I mean, hey, producers, if you listen to this, don't take this wrong, but you are a, an asset or an investment of the firm. And it's up to the firm. It's their fiduciary responsibility to all the other employees to get the most out of you as an asset. They need to leverage. So, so the attitude, well, they're not cost me anything. I'm going to leave them alone. is crazy. You can do it if you want, but it's crazy. We should be running them through extrinsic motivation exercises. Extrinsic going, what what really gets them cranked up? What do they either want called the reward or what do they want to avoid called punishment? And run them through that to find their reason, motive, their reason, their purpose for making cold calls, asking for introductions, learning a sales process, learning our differentiation, wedging out the incumbent, getting the BOR, booking the business, growing my book, putting the written service timelines in place, growing the book, growing my income, yada, 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 poo. That's extrinsic motivation. Let's go contrast that to intrinsic motivation. So intrinsic motivation says it involves engaging in a behavior because it's just personally rewarding. Essentially performing an activity for its own sake rather than the desire for some external reward. So for me growing up, like I played guitar, there was no reward. I mean, the girls didn't come around, you know, there was no, I wasn't in a band. I wasn't going to be on stage. No, nobody's going to be cheering for me. I just really enjoyed picking up the guitar. And it's back in those days, you know, it's like a, it was a standard guitar. It went electric. You know, I could kind of finger pick some songs. I could do some of the old, some Eagles. I could do some Neil Diamond. I could do a little bit of America. Uh, man, I keep going. Think about it. Some other songs. I sit there and there were songs within my range. I could sing, just pluck. I just enjoyed it, man. It was just fun. Intrinsic motivation. Every once in a while, I get some friends together, you know, a couple of beers and we kind of harmonize doing some country songs. God, it was just fun. Intrinsic motivation. Learn how to play guitar because I just enjoyed it. That's it. I don't enjoy crossword puzzles. The Sudoku or Sudoku, I had none of that stuff. I don't enjoy it. I would never do it. But playing guitar, man, that's cool. Going outside just shooting some basketball, that's cool. You know, no motivation there back when I was high school to be able to get on the, the, the court and play. But today, that's like, just go do it. It's just fun. So now, producers, if you thought about it, you're going to be just brutally honest with yourself. And if you're, if you're honest, if you're a producer, think about it for you. But I'm talking about agency managers right now. If we took every one of your producers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, 
and we, we sit there and start asking these core questions. Does this producer right now, if I fired them, do they have enough money, whether they're young or old, you know, whether they're young or old, uh, whether they're in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or 70s, do they have enough money that if I fired them today, they could just go on their little fancy way and have no negative implication? If the answer is no, then they're not independently wealthy. So then you start thinking through, help them do it. Secondly, if they decided they wanted to quit today, do they have enough money that they could retire? If not, that's a problem. Third, I'm going to say it there and help them think through. Are they saving enough money now that 20 years from now, when they turn that ripe old age, they will have financial freedom? And so those are the kind of questions that I want to think about with them. And, and I don't want to make it just about money, but I want to make it about uh, money and the money that freedom, freedom buys and how it impacts, it impacts their children and their spouse and all that stuff. And, and also maybe get some into status and how they feel about themselves. Now, here's what's interesting. We've talked about this before. If I try to motivate you to be the next uh, Marsh McLennan, to be the next Aon, to be the next Willis, or to, to try to trump what A.J. Gallagher's doing, you go, who cares? Now, you would say who cares either because you really don't care or you would say who cares because you're thinking, holy crap, how do I go build an organization worth multi-billion dollars? I don't know that I've got the knowledge, the strength, the leverage, all that sort of stuff. So therefore, a belief would stop you from thinking that way. Now, here's what's interesting. You could do anything all those guys have done more than likely. You're just not trained. So let's put this in context. When we're talking about the bottom 80% of our producers that are not producing at the level they could, several things affect that. Number one, a lack of clarity of goals. We need to sit there and think about like it from as if we're a financial planner, mapping out how big that pot of money needs to be, reverse engineering how much money you need to save between now and then to do it, reverse engineering it farther, how big your book of business need to be to throw off that much money, reverse engineering it farther, then how many new accounts do you need to write this year to be able to get there, reverse engineering it farther, and so there go, okay, let's talk about how many prospects you have in your database, how many cold calls or networks or introductions you need to get, what closing ratio, so that now there's a connection between, here's how much money I need, Here's how long I, how much I need to save. Here's how big my book of business needs to be. Here's how much I need to write this year. How, here's how many closes I need to have all the way down to now. Here's what I'm going to do to prospect. And now it's all integrated. Now, please don't be offended, but a lot of the goal setting I see that agencies do is it's a one-year spreadsheet that does nothing to get the producer thinking about what's in it for me. In other words, it doesn't connect back to uh, their personal life, uh, their family, their kids, the college, the weddings, the universities, their education, the financial freedom, any of that stuff. So that's just one big piece of motivating the bottom 80% of the producers, looking at intrinsic, extrinsic motivation, breaking it down, getting the goals very very flat. I mean, right down there in the dirt. So it's real. Have it. And now we go back to leverage. 
have it to where every time you run a sales meeting, there's their new business goal up on the table. Uh, there's where they are in relationship to that new business goal. When you have your private coaching sessions, you just pull up and go, there's your goal. That's where you are. Memories you, you wanted these things. How are you in relationship to all that? If it's working for you, if not, then let's talk about what we need to do to make that happen. And if you did, here's the question I got for you. How many more tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, how many millions of dollars over the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years would that create for your firm? It's a huge number. Now, when we get into struggle number three of agency principles, which will be coming up in a couple more podcasts, we're going to be talking about the reason you don't do these things as an agency owner is because you have no time. Time is the villain. Time is the enemy. And time, in many cases, is winning. They're beating you up. They're like the communists when we were kids. You know, we'd hide out under a desk because... Russia, we've been told all the Russian guys are bad and they're going to send a a bomb over here and blow us up. So we'd hide out. They were the enemy. Well, your biggest enemy right now is time. And if you don't have great systems to get big leverage off of time, the enemy wins and in a sense, you lose. So when we come back next time, we're going to be talking about big struggle number two, find, hire, and develop real producers. And uh, man, there's a lot of meat in that one. I mean, there's a lot of meat. I had a situation personally where my client in Fort Worth, Texas, met those guys in 94. In 95, I got involved in helping them hire. At the end of 2005, 10 years later, we'd hired 34 producers, 29 made it, and those 29 producers had built what was $17.5 million of renewable revenue. The $17.5 million of renewable revenue built by those 29 producers over that decade would put them at that point just by themselves in the top 100 agencies back in 1990 and 2005. I mean, it's amazing. And so what I want to do is share with you as we start to get into find, hire, and develop real producers is some of those things that uh, I learned along the way. And uh, by the way, I wrote a book about that too called Grit, How to Find, Hire, and Develop Real Producers. So a lot of these resources are available to you if you want them on our website, thewedge.net. But my goal, my goal has been, will be, always will be, is help you continue to um, to build a high gross agency in, uh, in only 90 minutes a week. And the way to do that is by gaining leverage off of these pieces and these systems in your agency. So I look forward to seeing you at our next podcast. Talk to you soon. This is Randy Schwantz. Adios.